Do your Bible reading, and we are beginning this morning in Revelation chapter 15, verse 5. So Revelation chapter 15, verse 5. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out the bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And he heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And they heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty. True and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for the pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out the bowl on the river of Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs, who go abroad to the kings of the whole world, to assemble them for battle on the great day of the God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from the heaven 
on people. And they cursed God for the plague of hail, because the plague was so severe. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts as people who can gather here in this building to worship you, the loving, just, and holy God. Father, I pray that um, as we spend this time together this morning, that you would help our hearts, Lord, to see you um, for the God that you are. Father, bring comfort where people need comfort. Father, I pray for those this morning um, who are struggling with the tasks of daily life, whether for physical reasons or because of struggles in their mind. Lord, I pray for healing. And God, we know that that's what you can do and that you can heal. And we ask for that this morning. Lord, I pray that as we do face the challenges of this world, that you give us peace and comfort and patience. Help us to persevere. And Lord, we thank you for the encouragement even of what we've been singing already this morning, Lord, that it's you that holds us. It's you that has loved us so much that you sent Jesus to come and die for us. Lord, we thank you that you will never let us go out of your hand. So, Father, come this morning, come into this place by your Spirit and really speak to us. Um, We might find this hard to listen, but Lord, I pray that you challenge our hearts and that you really speak by your Spirit this morning. So come and help John now as he speaks through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Morning again, everyone. So today, you'll all know, if you've been here for any length of time, or or you know me at all, you'll know I love a a good song, lyric. So I'm going to start out with some lyrics today from a, a song, and it says this. Only God can judge me, is that right? Only God can judge me now. Only God, baby. Nothing. I thought I would have got a laugh for that. It's not every day I stand up here and say, baby. Uh, Nobody else, nobody else. All you, beep, beep, get out of my business. Only God can judge me now. Perhaps I was blind to the facts, stabbed in the back. I couldn't trust my own homies, just a bunch of dirty rats. Will I succeed paranoid from the weed and hocus pocus, try to focus, but I can't see. And in my mind, I'm a blind man man doing time. Look to my future, because my past is all behind me. It's a crime to fight for what is mine. Everybody's dying. Tell me, what's the use of trying? That's lyrics from a song called Only God Can Judge Me from my homie Tupac. Uh, so, but that is the cry of the world. Only God can judge me. You've heard it. Only God can judge me. And my response to that is, based on Revelation 15 and 16, is this. Do you really want that? 
Do you really want that? That's the cry, only God can judge me. But my, my response to that is, do you actually really want that? And what we're looking at today in Revelation 15, verse 5, and then 16, uh, all of 16, and, and there's no other way to say it, is judgment. God's judgment. And if, you, if you've just heard the passage, surely you'll be thinking, no one would want that. No one would want that. And what we're going to do is consider a few aspects this morning of this judgment. The first thing I want to look at is where this judgment comes from. Where does the judgment that we read about in Revelation 15 come from? Let me just read those opening verses again. After this, I looked and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure white linen with golden sashes around their chests. They came from the sanctuary. Perhaps the better rendering here in the ESV is the temple of the tent of witness. And you'll remember the temple of the tent of witness is another word for the tabernacle. And two things are worth remembering about this. First of all, that is the place where the presence of God dwells, the tabernacle. And secondly, you remember the Ark of the Covenant houses the stone tablets that came from Moses. The transcription of God's law are in the tabernacle. It is a picture here. That the picture that we get in Revelation 15 verse 5 is that it is the very presence of God where these things come from. This is a symbolic place, the holy dwelling of God amongst his people. And notice, it is out of that place that the seven angels come. They're dressed, in verse 6, like priests. Their pure, bright linen, their golden sash around their chests, is to communicate holiness. The smoke that fills the sanctuary comes from the glory of God and from his power. Now what we have in this scene, you, you need to think visually about this scene, is this is the presence of God. The holiness, the transcendence, God in all His glory and all His majesty. And it is from that place plagues are poured out from where the seven bowls of God's wrath come from. This is the source of the judgment that is depicted in Revelation 16, 15 and 16. And what we really do need to consider is this. And what we need to understand is this. There is a great temptation in our day and amongst Christians to suggest that as a matter of fact, such dreadful things, such awful things, such plagues that are affecting the world even today could not possibly be sourced in God. They couldn't possibly come from God. After all, they're bad things, terrible things. God, surely God has nothing to do with them. No, no, no. God's a God of love and surely He could not do such things. 
But here's the reality. The God of the Bible loves us with a love that is righteous love. It is not incompatible to have holy justice and love in the same God. Leon Morris, commentator, wrote this. Because we are making a false antithesis between divine wrath and divine love, we're handicapped by the fact that we must necessarily use terms properly applicable to both hu the human heart. Because think about, think about this. Think about disciplining a child. Right? For me, when I, my children will laugh at me when I say disciplining them. That's a very loose term in our house. But, but when I go to discipline one of my children, it is very hard for me not to divorce that from my anger. And I'm doing it because I'm angry. We all know that experience as parents. If we go to discipline our children, we do it because it's very hard to discipline and divorce the anger and just discipline it for their good and because we love them. They've probably done something to really annoy us. And so we're angry and so we discipline them. That's not the way God operates. God operates. He can fully, totally discipline His children out of love and compassion and grace and still be God. And that's exactly what we see here from John. The door is opened up to the Holy of Holies where God Himself is, where He dwells in splendor and majesty and righteousness. And it is out of that place, it is out of that place, judgment comes. Judgment comes. And a hatred for sin comes. Again and again, you'll hear it said, after tar terrible things happen in the world or after a natural disaster happens in the world or, or awful effects of, of human malice or, or just evil, God had nothing to do with that. And it's an attempt to sympathize. It's an attempt to exonerate God or, or to make God look better as if He needs us to do that. We're looking to excuse him for the calamities of the world, which could be, in fact, part, partly designed to be judicial warnings from God. Warnings to which we must take heed before it's too late. So the first thing to notice about Revelation chapter 15 is where this judgment comes from. It comes from God. It comes from God. That's the source. The second thing that we need to look at surely is, is this judgment just? Because that's, that's where we go, is it not? That's what we tend to think, is, is it not? When we read passages like Revelation 15 and 16, we tend to think, oh, that is severe, that is, that is out of hand, that's harsh. 
we, that's where we tend to go as human beings. We tend to think that it's harsh and it's out of hand and it, it's, it's too much. So is it just? Is it right? And we see this through verse two, verses 2 through to 7 of chapter 16. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a cor- corpse and every living, every living thing died. Do you, do you remember again here what we're seeing as a parallel to the plagues of Egypt? You can see that imagery being used here. So the first thing we looked at is the source of this, this judgment. Now we're looking at is this judgment just? Look at the target of the plagues. It is the people with the beast's mark. They bear this satanic likeness, and so they endure this condemnation. The second angel, verse 3, pours out a bowl like blood from the corpse that pollutes the sea, kills everything within it. The fourth does the same for the rivers and the springs of water and the earth, verse 2, and the sea in verse 3, and the rivers and the streams in verse 4. That is to say that the whole world is touched by this judgment. Sores and blood from a corpse are unclean things according to Jewish law. This is to say this is a picture of separation and exclusion from fellowship with God. These sores and these, these things that happened were, were signs to Jewish people. This would have been been signs of separation from God. And that's what we see happening here. When these plagues are poured out, there's a separation from God happening. Why is God's judgment expressed in this way? Well, we're told in verses 5 and 7, we're we're told that that the judgment of God is expressed in these terms explicitly. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. If you can remember back in Revelation, what was the cry of the people who were being persecuted? The cry of the people who were being persecuted was, when are you going to exonerate us? When are you going to give us judgment? Because we are seeing persecution day and night. We're losing our lives. We're being threatened. All of this is coming our way. When, God, are you going to act? And you see that cry in the Psalms over and over again. When are you going to act, God? When are you going to, when are you going to justify me? When are you going to bring justice to the situation that I'm facing? And this is, what, this is how God acts. This is when He acts. They shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. The judgment of God is just and in perfect, perfect amount, considering the persecution that these people carried out. And the altar says, yes, Lord, true and just are your judgments. You see, that is the correct perspective on the judgment of God. 
whether or not we're always able to see it's just or not, heaven is able to see that it is just. God is able to see that it is just. You see, the reality is Jesus told a, a story. Jesus told a parable of the unfaithful servant in Luke 12, verses 43 and following. Speaking about the servants in a great house, Jesus said, If that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not, did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of, much will be required. And from him to whom was entrusted much, they will demand the more. You see, both servants in that parable deserved to be punished, one more than the other, but they are punished nonetheless in keeping with their degree of guilt. And even in hell, this principle will apply. The justice of God and the wrath of God will match His wrath to our guilt. Perfectly. So that no one, no one can say when they are suffering the judgment of God will ever be able to say, that is not fair. No one will be able to say that. No one will be able to say the punishment is too extreme for the crime. I don't deserve this. No, 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 no. That will not happen. Hell is nothing other than the final universal public vindication of the righteousness and justice of God. Matching sin to judgment perfectly. So, what is the source? The source is God. Is it just perfectly? The context here specifically is those who persecuted the church, and those who persecuted the church will get exactly what they deserve. We're told here, just and true are your ways. So it's just, it is right. But what's the goal? What is the goal of this judgment? So it comes from God. It is perfectly just. But what's the goal? What is the goal? The fourth angel pours out his bowl, and the sun scorches people with fierce heat. The fifth angel pours out his bowl, verse 10, on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom is plunged into darkness. But the thing we want to see here, especially here in both cases, is what happens on the other side of these judgments. 
Verse 9. They cursed the name of God and they did not repent and they did not give him glory. This, folks, this just shows us. Like, I could use the word throng, but it's much more than throng. It shows us how stubborn and how ridiculously just set in our ways we can be as human beings when these things come upon people and they still don't see and they still don't repent and they still don't give their their lives to Christ. They curse the name of God and they did not repent. They don't repent of their deeds. And that is the purpose, that is the goal of these judgments. The goal of these judgments is a wake-up call. The goal of the judgments, the aim of the judgments is to wake people up. Could it be that there are some in here today who have had things happen to them and it's a wake-up call and you've missed it? Because you think whatever has happened to you couldn't possibly be from God. But maybe it was from Him all the time and He's trying to get your attention. He's trying to say, I love you so much that I will do this to get your attention so that you see me for who I am and you come to me and you be saved. The goal is a wake-up call. He's calling for repentance. That's what it's for. Folks, this world is a bad place sometimes. There are things go on that are not right. And the question often arises, and you've heard me say it from the front, the question often arises with, with believers especially is this. Why does Jesus not just come back and wrap it all up and take us all home? Because the reality is, if we're in Christ, we're ready. The world's awful. Just wrap it up. Wrap it up. Never in my lifetime have I witnessed or been around and, and, and so many people just struggling with life. Jesus, just come back. Maranatha. Any wonder that the early church cried, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come and wrap it all up. Here's why he doesn't. Here's why he doesn't. He is giving time that people will repent. He is giving time for people to repent and come to him. He's waiting for repentance. Judgment is coming. Be warned. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But as we see here, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with the roar of the heavenly bodies burned up to be dissolved, 
and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Judgment is coming. It is time to repent. That is the purpose of these judgments. But what does that, what does that mean for us? And I'm talking, when I say us, I mean the church of Jesus Christ. What does that mean for us? If this is true, if this is coming, if people are going to face the judgment that we're reading about here, what does it mean for us? Well, it means this. It is time to get our fingers out and spread the gospel. That's what it means. It means... Folks, we need to take this seriously. It means that there will be people perishing and going and facing this judgment. We're called into this. God in His glorious wisdom and and might and, and sovereignty and everything that is going on in the personhood of God has somehow called us, you, me, to go. I, I listened to someone, someone this week. I can't remember where I was. But the reality is that if you're back in school back in the day, right, and you're picking teams, I had no problem with this moment because I was always either picking or picked first. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I'm, I'm sure some of you dealt with this issue. So I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to identify with you, you know. I'm just trying to identify with you. If you're up against the wall, right, and you're picking teams, because it was always a wall, wasn't it? Get back in the wall! Right, up against the wall. Uh, and you're picking teams, two captains, right? That was probably me and somebody else. But uh, you're picking teams, right? And you go down the line, and you go down the line, and you're like, oh, no, 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 you, yeah. Ali Murray, yep, you. Marcus, no, not just yet. Uh, we'll go down the line, we'll, we'll see who's, the, right? But you never go. You never, ever, ever. The last two standing on the end of the line were always like, flip. Us again, right? They're all standing there. Do you know the way God works? Do you know that God goes for them ones first? Look around you. This is not the team that I would have picked. Right? Let's be clear. That's not. Like if I'm gathering a team up to be evangelists and like the church and stuff, I'm not, you're not it, all right? That's what God does. He picks the rejects. Me, the greatest one of all. Those who don't deserve. Those who are not able to speak. Look at the Bible, folks. Look at, just, just read the Bible and look at he picks. Paul, psychopath. Peter, short temper. Like Noah, drunk. Moses, don't want to do that. Like, look, ordinary people. God has chosen ordinary people to build his kingdom. Go and do it in the power of him so that it is him that is seen to be glorious and not us. That's why he does it like that. If you're great and you can do it, God gets no glory. God gets no glory. 
If you're a bunch of wasters like we are, he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. Go and do it. This is a wake-up call, folks. Judgment is coming. People will perish. We are called to go. You have been rescued. The church is the only, like, I'm a bit of a fan of, uh, like, special forces stuff, right? Love special forces stuff, SAS, like, SEALs, all that stuff. Love it, right? And they go in and they do rescues and they rescue people and they bring them out of these, like, spots where they're in trouble and all this here, right? But they don't bring them out and go, like, would you like to be part of the team? It doesn't happen. The church is the only place where you are rescued and then brought into the team and said, go and play. Literally. We are rescued to be part of the rescue team. Go and play. Go and get them. Go and bring them in. This is a wake-up call, folks. There is time. There is time to repent. But we need to go. We need to go. So, the source is God. The judgment is just. The goal is repentance. And then what is the use of judgment? The sixth bowl. You remember these patterns in Revelation. There's patterns of seven. They are retelling the same story over and over again from a different perspective. Do you remember we talked about it in the football pitch? Different camera angles. The, the, the three sets of seven are just simply different ca- camera angles increasing in intensity all the way through. That's what's happening here. The sixth bowl here actually mirrors the sixth trumpet that sounded back in chapter 10. And this again shouldn't surprise us. Uh, this, this repeated series of events. In chapter 10, a great army from across the Euphrates is summoned. Uh, and one of the great fears in the Roman Empire at the time was, and we've talked about this before, one of the great fears was invasion from the east. They always feared an invasion from the east. And so what's across the Euphrates, this would happen. And it's a picture of military conflict here. And it says... It actually says here that the the river Euphrates will be dried up. Now, for the first hearers of this, why would that ring a bell? Would would it ring a bell? Would it mean anything to the first readers of, of Revelation? Yes, and here's why. Because this had happened before. The drying of the Euphrates had actually happened before. Both Isaiah and Jeremiah prophesied that that this would be a picture and a a prophesying towards the destruction of the first kingdom of Babylon. And it happened. And so when the readers of Revelation hear this, their minds would be drawn back to that and think, right, okay, we get what you're saying. Babylon was a, a, a real kingdom back in the day. The Babylon that is talked about in Revelation is a picture for the world and its ways. And so we get what you're saying. Judgment is going to come and the world in the ways that it is will fall. We get what you're saying. They would have picked this imagery up straight away. 
In verse 13, we're told about this counterfeit uh, trinity again. Let me read it to you so you can see it. Uh, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. There we have this false trinity again. Counterfeit trinity to the Father, Son, and Spirit. We have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They are coming to deceive the rulers of the world, provoking them to assemble for battle. And verse 16 says they will gather at this place in Hebrew called Armageddon. Uh, that's transliteration of Harmagado. Harmagado, which means mountain of Megado. Now, there is actually, interestingly, a place in Scripture called Megado, where the army of Judah fought against the armies of Egypt and lost. You read about it in 2 Kings 23. But there is actually no place in Palestine called Armageddon. There is no place in Palestine called Armageddon. Because Megado is not a mountain, it's a plain. That also shouldn't really surprise us since we've seen John using symbolic language and imagery the whole way through. So John's point is that just like Judah's battle with Egypt in this valley long, long time ago, the world again is going to mobilize itself against the church. There was a battle then in this place and John is saying there's going to be a battle now and the world is going to mobilize itself against the church. The dragon, Satan himself, the the first beast, the anti-Christian state power that we talked about a few weeks ago, the second beast, the anti-Christian religion, all of these are coming against the church. And all you need to do, folks, all you need to do is turn on your news. All you need to do is see that the world is in rebellion against God and against the church. And a voice in the midst of that speaks and says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen and exposed. The world, Babylon, and those who claim to be religious and claim to be Christians are mobilizing themselves against the true church. We see it. It's clear. Radical Islam. The sexuality agenda that is now becoming the norm Think of what the Church of England have done in the last few weeks. The hypocrisy of their position. They say they will not marry same-sex, but they will bless same-sex. It's a hypocritical position that they've put themselves in, and it is only a matter of time until it comes to pass. Those who seem to be religious are mobilizing themselves against the true church. Who are the bigots in today's world? The church. The church. 
There's a thousand ways it's happening. The dragon, the two beasts, deceive the nations and provoke hostility towards the church. So how should we respond? How should we respond? Well, as we watch this unfold, which it is unfolding currently before us, what are we to do? As the sixth judgment is poured out, the final condemnation of the devil and his allies with the people of God, what should be our stance? What do we need to do? Well, it's fairly simple. We are to be ready and prepared. We are to be ready and prepared. Jesus has said, He is coming like a thief. Stay awake. Remember, we need to be ready when the bridegroom comes, dressed and prepared. That's what this, this imagery is showing us here, this imagery of being dressed and prepared as, as opposed to being naked and vulnerable. We are to be ready. So let me ask a question to us all, to me, to you. If you're a believer in Jesus, have you been sleeping? When Christ has called to watch and to pray and not to fall into temptation, have we been sleeping? Like, we are all, a lot of us, come from fairly traditional church backgrounds. And you'll have heard this phrase used, and I'm going to use it, and I'm using it intentionally. And it has been used in the past to scare people, and I am not going to use it to scare people, but I am using it to help us to to actually look at our lives. It's not intended to scare. It's not intended to guilt. It's not intended to, to do any of that. It's intended to, to actually make us look at ourselves, look at our lives, reflect, are we ready? And it's this. It's this phrase that you've heard, and you may roll your eyes when you hear it, but don't. If Jesus were to return today, If Jesus were to return today, how would you find yourself? Would you find yourself ready and prepared, or would you find yourself naked and exposed? The call of Revelation 15 and 16 is to be ready. Be ready. Watch out. Stay awake. The pattern here, as we've said over and over again now, the seventh bowl, along with the seventh trumpet, is the final judgment. And I want to just, I'll just read the passage. I'll just read the passage. 
And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It's done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds, fell each from heaven on people, and they were cursed. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Folks, let's not play down the judgment of God. The one thing we can determine from those last few verses is this. It will be furious. There's a wake-up call here. Be ready. How do we be ready? How can we be ready for this? There's only one way. And thankfully, that one way has been provided and that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank our Father God that He has provided a way that we can escape this judgment, and that is in the person of His beautiful Son, Jesus Christ. It is only in trusting in what He has done, nothing else, that will save us from that punishment and that wrath. And that's the glorious simplicity of the gospel, folks. It is only in Christ that we avoid this wrath and we can stay away from it. Where does this judgment come from? It comes from God. Is it just perfectly? The aim is repentance and the use is a wake-up call. Let's not be found not prepared and not ready. Let me pray for us. Father, these are sobering verses, but they are your word. And we thank you for them. We thank you that they speak to us and that they do warn And they do tell us about who you are. And Father, I pray that if there is any single person in this room that does not know Jesus, that they would come to him today, repent of sin, give their lives to Christ, so that they could be saved from this judgment. Father, we thank you for your grace in Christ Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And it is in your beautiful son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.